things by it. Okay, but meh, that looks sensitive. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and uh, feel free to raise your hands on this. Uh, but who, who has ever uh, found themselves uh, touring around a gym or a health club at some point in their life? Yeah, who's, there we go. I can see those hands. I can see those hands. Who's ever found themselves buying a diet book at some point in their life? Yes, okay, that's everyone now. We've got that. We've, we've got that. If you're anything like me, I've found a new habit that I really enjoy. I enjoy going for the free passes to the health clubs because they give you a tour of the health club. Like if Fitness First across the road's got a, a, a gorgeous new facility. They've got a facility that looks like this at the moment in the city. It looks really snazzy. You know when you go on those tours and uh, they show you around the gym and there's the change rooms and there's the snazzy pool and there's like the bazillion weights machines and all the dumbbells and all the rest of it. Is it just me? But when you walk around these places, you just start to feel healthier. Have you noticed that? <laughs> And you like to, and then you get your diet book and you start reading through your diet book and your devotional chairs as you're munching on the chips. You just feel healthier, right? It's great. And then you get the clothes and you get the outfits and all the rest of it. Crazy truth, a little bit of revelation. Kristen and I have this real habit where we like to um, lie in bed and we watch CrossFit on YouTube. <laughs> we, we literally watch CrossFit on YouTube in bed as we're going off to sleep. We just healthier but are you healthier at that point not a trick question not a trick question you're not you're not healthier because it's the doing that makes a difference it's the doing that makes a difference and in the spiritual world and in the religious world the same dynamics that apply for your physical life apply for your spiritual life it's the doing that makes a difference and here's how it works. <laughs> here's how, how it can work in church. You come to church, you hear the songs, you listen to the messages, you, you even do what I call the Christian moo, remember? Mmm, mmm, that's good. Mmm, amen. You know, you might even say a hallelujah every now and then if you're really excited. You come along and, and you're, the lights, there's the feeling, there's the atmosphere, and you're thinking, oh, I, I just feel like I'm getting spiritually fit. To which I say, no, you're not. You're just touring the facility. <laughs> in fact, you've participated in what I call vicarious Christianity. Have you ever heard of vicarious Christianity? The definition of a vicarious Christianity is a faith that is experienced in the imagination through the feelings or actions of another person. Have you ever seen that type of Christianity? It's a type of Christianity where you say, oh, I, I had a friend that had this amazing encounter with God. It's the Christianity that says, I read a book and Jesus is doing amazing things over there in the Middle East. It's the type of Christianity that thrives off the stories because everyone else had an amazing worship experience and you should have seen the way that God was moving. It's the type of Christianity that says, our church sends missionaries overseas. It's the type of Christianity that says, our church is for the North Shore. And all of those experiences, don't get me wrong, are good experiences. They're God experiences. There's one problem with those experiences. They're not yours. They're not your experience. It's like, it's like going to the gym and watching a dude doing a bench press of 120 kilograms and going, whoa, I'm getting strong. <laughs> He's really lifting that well. I'm with, I'm with him. I'm with him. Vicarious <laughs> right. Christianity. And the problem with vicarious Christianity is that when life hits you, 
when the weight of life hits you, when that barbell that we all know so well of life hits you, you suddenly realize, I'm not sure if I've got the strength to cope. Ever felt that? And Jesus understood that the doing makes the difference because at the very end of his message, (laughs) the greatest sermon that was ever preached in the world, in fact, most non-Christians attribute this sermon as the ethical high point of the Western world. Some non-Christian ethicists believe that this sermon was the basis for Western justice and the legal system that we have today. And at the end of this message, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation upon the rock. We know it so well. So many of us have sung that in preschool and Sunday school. But Jesus is saying it is the doing that makes the difference. It's the doing that makes a difference, to which we kind of go, hang on, but that's, this is, oh, Sam, this is one of those pastor's stitch-ups. I know where you're headed. It's Commitment Sunday. I know where you're going with this. You're not getting past me. (laughs) This is a (laughs) stitch-up. But no, what I want to show you is why Jesus talks about why doing is so significant. In fact, I'll tell you how this works itself out in life, because you can see people that do big things of the faith, and you can often get caught with this thinking that says, oh, my goodness, I, I wish I had a faith like them. Classic example in this church uh, was of our missionaries, Brendan and Shannon, who are currently in Madagascar. And I remember as we heard uh, their testimony, uh, someone at SuperConnect said to me, I wish I, wish I could have faith like them. <laughs> to which I, I've, I've shared before that that faith for them, one of the most significant parts of their testimony wasn't that, oh my goodness, we were sitting as doctors and we were doing our job and Jesus appeared at the end of the bed and there was like pillars of smoke uh, by day and pillars of fire by night and the room was shaking and the Lord said, go to Madagascar. Like there was none of that type of story in their testimony. The most profound thing about what Shannon said as to why they decided to pack up from being GPs in Sydney and move to the other side of the world was this. She said, it was just another small step of obedience in my faith. And when you understand Shannon's story, I met her when she was a 16-year-old and we were in home group together and she was the only youth kid in the entire church and she's sitting with a bunch of 24-year-olds and she hung out with us for a year. And I think if ever there's a faith step to take that's bigger than Madagascar, it's for a 16-year-old to stay in a church with a bunch of 24-year-olds and learn the Bible. And then she took the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step until she got to this little point up here where it was the step to move to Madagascar. Because what we have to understand, and you've heard me say this, that faith is not a trick or a talent. Faith doesn't belong to someone like Shannon that possesses this extra dose of faith. No, faith is something that you grow. Faith is something that you grow. When obedience and acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness, God shows up and your faith gets bigger, right? When obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, when obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, when obedience intersects with, you grow, same as you do spiritually. (laughs) We don't all start there, by the way. Jesus knows this. It's why he nicknamed his disciples oligopistoi, or little faiths. 
And we all know the King James Version, so it sounds very serious when he says, Is that how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into fire? O ye of little faith. That's the King James Version. You want to see the way that Jesus is talking about it? He's saying, what are you getting all worried about, little faiths? It was a nickname. It was a Greek nickname. He called his disciples little faith. Because here's the truth for you this morning. God wants to grow you into a person of big faith. That's his desire for you, is to do that. And the theology then behind the Sermon on the Mount really is Jesus saying of all of these things, of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and to not worry and to not be anxious and to be overly generous. All of these things Jesus is saying, that is the type of faith you can have if doing makes the difference in your life. Little faiths. Can you imagine if you woke up every morning with this type of faith? Oh yeah, financial worries. People backstabbing me at work. Oh, whatever. Person hasn't forgiven me. I'll forgive them. Can can, Can you imagine moving into that type of life? That's what Jesus is talking about at the Sermon on the Mount because the people he was talking about are people who realize that faith is not a trick or a talent. It's something that's grown. It's something that you grow. And here's what I've discovered by doing life with lots of you. And I know some of you could relate, relate to this because I've seen it in your lives. Is that many of you have lived lives where you would be able to say, you know what, something happened when I came up against uncertainty and yet I lived out my faith. Haven't you seen that in people around here? They're the ones that inspire me. That's why I love a multi-generational church. The people who've come up against the worries of life and something happened when I lived out what I was hearing from Jesus. And because the reason for that is what they've discovered and what I want you to discover this morning is that God is like any good parent. God doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your trust. Obedience is the means that you express your trust in him. I don't want my kids to behave just because dad told them so. I want my kids to behave because they trust me, that they know that I'm a good father, that they know that I'm for them, that, that cleaning up your room and packing your Lego into colour-coordinated cabinets... Oh, that's Kristen's parenting. That's not mine. Right. <laughs> right, Zacho? Yeah, it's true, isn't it, buddy? Yeah. We want to know that doing those things are the sort of things that turn you into the sort of adult that is able to remain strong and compartmentalized in the emotional matters, not the Lego, when you turn 18 and 19 and 20. Any good parent doesn't want your obedience. They want trust. And God wants your trust. And that's what we're doing here today. Because isn't that fundamentally the breakdown of relationship in the Bible for all of you scholars, Ryan? It wasn't about eating apples in a garden. The reason that an apple was ate in the garden, I don't know, that doesn't make sense, but the reason that, that an a- a- apple was consumed in the garden was through a lack of trust. It wasn't just disobedience. It was from an attitude that said, I'm not sure if God is for me. I'm not sure if God's got this under control. I'm not sure if this whole setup here with walking around in the cool of day, face to face with God, naked, no, no, no hiding anything. I'm not sure if that's the best life. I think I'll live my life my own way. Right? I'm not sure if I can handle God on all of this. 
to which I would say is archaic as it sounds, isn't that yours and my problem today? Is that, that with our faith, we're fundamentally asking in every step that we need to take forward, can I count on God? Can I count on God with how I'm raising my kids? Can I count on God with what I'm doing with my money? Can I count on God with how I'm spending my time? Can I count on God to come through for me in all of this? Is God trustworthy in all of this? Can I really turn my life over to him and trust him with the things that are the closest and most valuable to me? Can I count on God? It's a, it's a trust issue. And most of the tension for us, right, is that we, we're thinking we want to, right, but I'm not sure if I'm there yet. And that's going to be the tension for some of us as we seek to take our steps forward in faith this morning, is that oh, I want to, but I'm not sure I'm there yet. To which I say to you, you know, often we go, well, I'm not sure because I'm not sure if I believe in Christianity intellectually. I'm not sure if I'm there yet because I've got a big enough faith. I'm not sure if I'm... I'm and fundamentally what it's all about is that I'm really not there, not out of a lack of belief or intellectual trust in Christianity, but it's fundamental trust in God. I'm not sure if I can trust him with this. <laughs> to which this morning he wants to call you out of that and say, child, I want you to have a big faith. I'm not done with you yet. I, I, wa I want to take you into places where you take small steps of obedience that others would look at and think, I want a faith like that. <laughs> That's what he wants to do this morning for each and every one of us and so how do we how do we work that out <laughs> pretty simply his brother james the brother of jesus says exactly the same thing a few years later it's a pretty remarkable thing i always say to people if you're not a christian this morning you're watching in one of the great proofs of christianity is the fact that the brother of jesus became the leader of the jerusalem megachurch you know, you go and ask what my younger brother thinks of me and you're going to get all sorts of interesting stories. One thing he's not going to say about me is that he thinks that I'm the son of God, right? And you try in any dysfunctional family situation to convince your sibling that you're the son of God. There had to be something in Jesus Christ that convinced James that his brother was the son of God. And James continues the same word as his bro. Maybe he was listening to the same words on the side of that mountain near the Sea of Galilee because he says this. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. You know what James is saying? James is saying, please don't fool yourself by hanging around the health club. That's what he's saying. Please don't fool yourself by watching all of these other strong, buff Christians at Northside do their exercise and do their spiritual journey. Please don't be fooled by that. It is the doing that makes the difference. You get me? It's the doing that makes the difference. And so what it means for you this morning is, do you put yourself in places, are you putting yourself in places where you by choice are forced to simply practice the things that Jesus says? One of the things that, that, that just grows our faith and gives us big faith is just doing what Jesus says. I'll tell you one thing that doesn't grow our faith, exegetical preaching. And I say that, that tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying that exegetical teaching can't grow our faith. But exegetical teaching would say to you this morning, and here's the Greek word for doing. 
And all those who love exegetical teaching are going to go, wow, I learned a heap today. I learned what the Greek word for doing was. But do you think that they did anything with that? I'm all for exegetical teaching. I'm all for life application teaching. So long as you leave this place and you do something about it. Which means this morning, when we come to Recommitment Sunday, all we're simply doing is wanting to take a step forward in our faith. We want to take a step forward in our giving. We want to take a step forward in our serving. We want to take a step forward in terms of the people that we're connecting with and engaging with. Because Jesus says to us, for at the end of all of this talking, at the end of all of his talking, all of us are building something. All of us are building a foundation on which to place our faith. And the tricky part of it is, you can't tell who's building on what. It's what I said last week, it's the, it's the anonymity of community. No one knows other than the Lord what sort of foundation you're building your faith on upon until the rains come down and the floods come up. And haven't you seen people, Christians in your life over the past couple of years, whose foundations have been revealed by the storms of life that we have been through? And so Jesus says to you this morning, not me, I'm just a male boy, remember? I'm just, I'm just delivering the message. I'm, I'm just a male boy. Jesus says to you this, but everyone who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice is like someone foolish who builds their house upon sand. We're all building upon something. And we have to understand this morning that Jesus never teaches for knowledge. Jesus never teaches. He wasn't there walking around Jerusalem saying, I hope in a couple of thousand years' time that, uh, that James and John and Jenny are just going to hear these words of mine and go, mm, that's good, Jesus, that's good. Somehow I don't think that's what he was about. Jesus doesn't teach for knowledge. You know, Jesus, you know, it's like paint in a bucket or a tin. It's useless unless it's applied. Jesus didn't come to have a whole bunch of paint buckets sitting around in his church, grinning and saying hallelujah to all the great and profound things that he said. He wanted them to go out and to apply these teachings to put this into perspective and practice and so the invitation for you this morning is not to be um shifted into inspiration but it's it's a moment to do something and i'm so excited for each and every one of us that's going to participate in this moment because ultimately this is your step of faith towards god not towards Northside, not towards a program not towards a brochure all of these things are the means to help us become the sort of people that have a big faith. And so as we move towards our time of commitment this morning, I want you to know that our goal isn't in order to achieve strategic objectives as a church. Our goal simply is to help you trust God more. And what it means is if you are watching online and you're not even part of this church, then do this in your church. <laughs> Do this with whatever faith community you're connected to. Because it's not about the faith com the community, it's about the connection to Jesus in all of this. And so as we get ready to commit this morning, what, here's what we're going to do is that um, we're going to have an extended time of worship this morning. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity for many of you who have already been praying and thinking about what this means, is to have your time with Jesus and to take a step forward.
It might mean this morning that for some of you, it's your first step out of vicarious Christianity. And I mean that in the best possible way. I mean, it's your step out of a, a Christianity where you've loved uh, what this church is about and, and you want to utilize your gifts that God has given you through this church. Um, for the rest of us, it's time for a recommitment. And I love that phrase that we had this morning. It's time for a, a recommitment to say, Lord, uh, it scares me and I'm not sure and inflation's going crazy and work's pressuring in on me. Like, as if God doesn't already know about these things. What I love about these things is that they're the very things that have given us the environment to say, this is flippin' scary, Lord, but I trust you. And if life was going good and fine and we knew how to have all of our ducks in a row and we just filled out a form, that's not a step of faith. And so he wants to take you into deeper levels of trust. And so uh, we're going to sing together. We're going to worship. Uh, you've got some booklets in front of you. Some of you may have already filled out your back page. If you've got that there, Kristen. There's pens up the back if you need them, or if you're more digitally minded, you can scan the QR codes. Who would have thought that we'd all know how to use these things after the last couple of years? Uh, but would encourage you to just stop and reflect um, as the music is just going about and allow this moment as we also take communion to be a moment to connect with God. To prayerfully sit in the silence and to pray over this and say, Lord, I, I trust you in this. I trust you with this. And so if you've got the physical card, you can fill that out and then you can wander up the back and put it in the uh, offering bucket. If you've got your phones, then you can just scan that. There'll be another QR code up on the screen too. And you can make your commitment in that way too online. But most of all, this is an opportunity for you to place your trust in God. These things are the means which led by him we thought that we could do this. Uh, but it's between you and him in this space, in this moment now. And I encourage you to do that. Hey, uh, before we do, I'm going to ask Kieran, one of our elders, sorry to put you on the spot, <laughs> um, to pray. Poor Tommy, our chairman, has got his little guy in hospital this morning with influenza A. So little Spencer, who's six weeks, is um, not breathing too well, the poor guy. So um, would you mind praying for us as we get ready to commit this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that as we gather, that you are already here in the midst of us. That, Lord, you are the Alpha and you are the Omega, that you are here at the beginning and you'll be here at the end. And that, Father, you know every single person who has gathered here at Crow's Nest, at Taramara and online. And what I love about that, God, is that you know our stories. You know each person and what they represent. You know their families and the lives that they are going to impact. You know their workplaces where they are planted and where people will really feel the impact of that light in that place. You know the, the, the depths and the breadths of the places that these fireflies will go to. And so Father, we just believe there's great potential even here in the midst. And Father, we also pray for those people who are not even here yet, that are in the, this building, that are in the buildings surrounding us. They are in the houses and the laneways in Taramara, 
all the way from here to Taramara, Lord, all of those lives that are yet to be impacted by the significance of this moment right now. Father, we just thank you that it is just a step that we take and that we can trust you, that you will continue to be our good shepherd. You will lead us, you will guide us, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. So thank you that we get to play a part, to join with, to partner with what you are doing here on earth. And God, we thank you so much for the ministry team, for Sam, for Kristen, for Graham, for Cherise downstairs, for everybody who's played a part, Richard, we just, and, and for Barry and the team and Tina. We just thank you so much for this team and the faithfulness. And we thank you that we can partner with them to be for you and for your community and for the North Shore. So thank you, Lord, for the significance of what we're doing right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kira. That's yours. I'll hold on to it. It's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, come take communion.